Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Life Teachers. Today we have Dion Capnias joining us, who is the host of the podcast Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls is a platform for physiotherapy students and new grads to expand their knowledge to become better practitioners. Dion is from Melbourne and is currently working as a physiotherapist in London. If you work in the healthcare sector, or any job for that matter, and are considering if you should move overseas to work, then this is the episode for you. We learn about what made Dion decide to move to London, difficulties he had faced, the documentation required to practice as a physio in England, how to find accommodation, the cost of living, working four days a week to travel Europe on the weekends, and tips to meet new people overseas, and so much more. I'm looking forward for you guys listening to this one. Please let me know what you think, and let's roll the intro. Welcome to the Life Teachers Podcast, with your host being Michael Giacovelli. This is a podcast where Gen Z is made easy. Learn about the possibilities that are available after school, how to set your future self up for success, and learn unique stories from extraordinary people, all while having a laugh along the way. I'm extremely thankful for you guys joining me today. Now, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Life's Teachers. On today's episode, we got Dion Capnius joining us. How are you going today, Dion? Good, good. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure. Ah, the pleasure's all mine. So Dion's all the way in London at the moment working as a physiotherapist and can't wait to get into the um, the nuts and bolts about what made him go over to London and just learn a bit more about Dion and his, his life overseas. Uh, before we get into it, Dion, our first question actually, sorry, give us a brief synopsis about yourself and um, what you did after school. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm Dion. Um, I am a physio now. I've been out since uh, the end of 2021, so this is my second year out, which is um, pretty cool now. Um, straight after school, I, I it's pretty funny. Like I knew straight away I wanted to go into physio. Like I remember writing when I was in year six. We had to you know write what do you want to be when you're older, and I think I wrote I want to be either an animal rights activist or a physio, <laughs> and one uh, one of them. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was always sort of the writing was on the wall and just went straight into it, did the, the course for four years full time, loved it and went straight into work. Awesome. Great stuff. In grade six, I don't think I even knew what a physio was back then. <laughs> Weird, right? Isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. Said, I don't know how I knew that, but apparently yeah. I did. No, awesome. So, and that carried out along through high school. Like that was your goal. Like, yeah, I need to get this ATAR to get into this course to do physio at this specific uni or... Yeah, I, I didn't really know completely at the start which uni, but I certainly knew that I wanted to do physio and I think it was really helpful because I had this end goal of, well, I know that roughly ATAR-wise I have to get this amount and it was an extra little push for me to really just strive hard because I, I really wanted badly to get in and I think I needed that kind of knowing exactly what I was aiming for. Um, that was really helpful. Yeah, beautiful. And um, so you finished school, went straight into physio, did it full time. And then uh, after you finished uni, did you start working in Australia as a physio? What happened after then? Yeah, I started working in a private practice in Melbourne, um, which I absolutely loved. It's really, really good fun. But I had this sort of, you know, I was thinking about it for a while, but, you know, whilst I'm young and whilst I have very few commitments, um, I really want to just live abroad and live overseas like I even back in uni I had this whole idea of I'd love to do like the whole American college experience and yeah. live there and and you know live somewhere in America and then study at the same time but you know, I sort of grew off a little America a little bit in Europe um so then I just sort of yeah I um, was working I just sort of had a chat quite early on um upon starting with my boss about the idea of moving over here and um, and he was incredible um, and he really um, found it I mean, helpful as well to, for, for me to give him so much notice so he could prepare accordingly. But yeah, he's such a good support and once I'm back in Australia eventually, I yeah, definitely plan to, to go back there, which is exciting. Yeah, awesome. So how long were you uh, working at private practice before you um, went over overseas? Just one year, yeah. So I yep. finished up in January uh, this year. Oh, okay. Also, oh, yeah, you've only been here, been there for like around oh, five months now. I was going to say three months, but geez, this year's flown by. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I've been about three months here in the UK, and I travelled for about two months straight prior to, to coming here, which is really good fun. 
Yeah, beautiful. So how was bringing up that conversation? I mean, as you said, it would have been a bit, and it's good you gave early notice to your boss, but was it, did it feel a bit daunting even bringing that up to your parents that you wanted to move overseas and work overseas? Um, with my parents, it was very chill. I mean, they're, they're very relaxed, which is nice, and they were very supportive, which is really good. Um, yeah, with my boss, it was he was he was really good about it. Um, and like we've even I mean, I'd only been there for a few months, but we were very open and um, quite clear with you know communication. He's just a great support, so I didn't feel too 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 nervous about bringing it up with him. Um, and he, yeah, he was very adamant that it was great that I gave him a lot of time. I think it was, I probably gave him, you know, seven or eight months to sort of say like, I'm going in this time. And, uh, he really appreciated that because, you know, the hardest thing as a business owner is to deal with, you know, short-term change and to be thrown, oh, by the way, I want to leave in a month. Like, oh crap. Like that's a whole <laughs> caseload. You have to cater for and get the right person in and start all that process. Like it's, it's really hard. So yeah um yeah i just went for a, a walk with him uh like at lunchtime and just sort of told him like yeah look I'm, i really want to move to the uk next year and he was extremely supportive yeah awesome that's really good that's really healthy that you went that and even take into consideration you know where you are working at the private practice like you got to factor in you know they got to bring someone else and just the whole time span like it's not an overnight thing they can't just replace dion like that like dion is special mate so yeah <laughs> yeah they have to find a b b a b quality uh, replacement you can't, yeah. you can't quite get the a quality back in yeah. <laughs> no but um during that lead up into moving did you ever second guess yourself or were you always like yep yeah, this is something i 100 i'm looking forward to doing I was pretty all in. Yeah, I was pretty all in. I just knew in my heart that this is like something I really wanted to do. It just felt right. Like I, I guess for me, you know, I was, I, I can all, I, I definitely see myself living in Melbourne for long term. Um, and I just thought, well, this is probably the pretty ideal timing in that I've got a bit of experience now by the time I move over. Um, there aren't too many things holding me back, like, you know, kids or a mortgage or things like that. Um, so, in terms of the timing, it just felt really right. And it was just, it, it was just the, the idea and the prospect of it was just so exciting. So I just, there wasn't too much doubt in my mind, to be honest. Yeah. Nah, really good. I just feel so excited for you. <laughs> and something that yeah. I'm definitely, <laughs> and something I'm definitely like kind of considering in the back of my mind, me and some of my other physio mates like discussing like, oh, how sick would it be to, you know, work overseas for a little bit. But yeah, when you decided to go over to London, what was the strategies you took in place at the start to go over? Yeah, I had to do a bit of research. Um, I knew a couple of people who had gone, but they didn't. I didn't get too much information from them about what to do and what the process involves. So, I yeah, I sort of started researching, like you know, how to move to sort of a natural Google search. I had to move to London as a physio. Um, asked those people who I did knew, uh, who I yeah did know had moved over and started to piece together a bit of a, you know, an idea about a strategy of how to move over. Um, so yeah, it, it was the, the hardest part probably initially was actually figuring out what to do um, and what kind of processes I need and what paperwork I need to get done and how to get the visa and, and all those things. But um, once I had sort of figured out the steps I needed, then it was more so a matter of time and money because um, it is unfortunately pretty expensive to, to, to mm. make the move um, and also to live over here. So, um, yeah, it sort of started off as a bit of a broad search and then I quite quickly sort of narrowed down and figured out what I needed to do. Yeah, okay. Oh, really good. Um, and like where, what physio practice are you working at the moment? Are you working in the neuro or still the private practice? I'm in the NHS. So I'm in a hospital, um, just sort of, it's technically London, but I was sort of telling you before, it's, it's an hour and a half commute for me at the moment, which, yeah. each way, which is not the best, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, so it's in a hospital. Um, it's an ortho department, so sort of inpatients. So a lot of total hips and um, back surgeries, um, but also a bit of gen med as well. So, you know, you get like... I don't know, like a abdominal surgeries or someone's got rectal cancer or, or whatever. It's sort of, it's a bit of a broad mix, which 
going from private is certainly different. I've never worked in a hospital before. I've had placements, but I never had a job. And uh, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, very different um, to private practice, as you were saying. Um, and are you working there three days a week or full-time? I'm there four days a week, which is <laughs> nice. Um, sort of the, the beauty of being a locum, which we can talk about um, a bit more if you'd like, in that you have a lot of flexibility. So okay, yeah. I just sort of I, I got the job and I just asked, look, can I, can I work four days a week? They're like, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> which is just amazing because then, you know, I'll work Monday to Thursday and then provided I don't have plans or like I'm playing footy over here, if I don't have footy, then that's potentially a three days I can, you know, go away and book a last minute flight or, or whatever, which is pretty cool. Wow. That is insane. So you, you say, did you just say you're playing footy over there? Yeah, there's, a, there's an AFL league over here, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. That's so cool. Um, and like yeah, when you went cool. overseas, did you want to work in the hospital setting or was that the was there so many jobs saturated in the private practice field that that's all that there was? Or um, It was more so, I guess, with private practice, you, you know, you, I guess you have to think like for the most part, they're wanting that person to build a caseload and have regular people in and they're kind of reliant on you being there. You can't just sort of come in and quickly replace someone for, I don't know, four weeks at a time. It's pretty hard. I mean, there are, there are definitely some opportunities to do that, but they are more rare versus in a hospital, it's much more suited to this locum casual work because they just sort of, you are not that uh, sort of, you, you don't matter as much as, as bad as that sounds like yeah. you, know, you can be replaced. You know, you don't have individual clients that you're seeing. You're just seeing whoever is needed to be seen on the ward. And so technically anyone who comes through, provide they know what they're doing, can do that. So yes, yeah. hospitals that have so much more locum work because it makes more sense and they can just sort of filter through people that, you know, someone will come for five weeks, then they'll go off traveling. Someone else comes in for two months, whatever. So it's that's sort of why I chose to go more in the, the hospital field. Uh, makes sense. And define locum for those who are not sure what that means, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I've used it a couple of times without sort of saying what it is. It's, <laughs> essentially, it's essentially a form of casual work. So it's, think of it as like sort of short-term contracts. So you'll most often sign up with an agency and that agency will then work with you to find a job that you like. So for me, I'm more interested in either ortho or MSK or outpatient roles. Um, so I'm currently talking to a couple agencies to, to move work at the moment to try to get a bit closer to home. Um, and they'll send you through job offers or job opportunities and you'll be like, yep, I want that. Or can you put my name forward for that or whatever? And then if you get one, you know, they'll, it's, it, the interview process is very relaxed as well because they just filter okay. through so many people. That, yeah. So that, like, you know, to get, to get one job, um, I didn't, I didn't even have a phone call with this current place. They just sort of said, yep, we'll take you on. Oh really? Um, <laughs> yeah. So you can, it's not hard to find work. It's more about finding the right work. Um, so I wouldn't worry if anyone's wanting to move over about, oh God, am I going to get a job? It's very easy to get work. Like there's heaps of jobs out there. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, and then you can sort of just, your contract is however long essentially you want it to be uh, unless they have like a, a fixed time when sometimes, you know, let's say they've hired someone more permanent and they're starting in two months' time, well, that might be your end date for when they want you for. Um, but most of the time, it's kind of like, yeah, just stay for the foreseeable future. If you're enjoying it, they'll sort of keep you on. So it's pretty okay, good. Cool. Sounds like, yeah, really flexible. As you said, like you said, yep, I want to work four days and you have that um, kind of weekend, three days to you know, go travel if you want and yeah, do what you want yeah. to enjoy being in Europe. Um, like yeah. With, yeah. yeah, regarding finding that, um, that first job you were saying, because um, you went through an agency, correct? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And how early in advance would you recommend that you have to start looking for an agency and looking for jobs? Mm, I wouldn't – that that can all get done. Like as an example, I started off with one agency. They sort of stuffed me around a bit with finding a job. So then I'm like, all right, I, I don't have the patience for this. I was getting sort of short financially. So then I changed agencies and they got me sort of compliant with all the paperwork and everything and found me a job in a week and a half. 
So oh, okay. you don't need much. You don't need much time to actually organize the agency stuff. Like I wouldn't worry about that. You can do that whilst you know in a couple of weeks, even in the lead up to you finding a job. Um, if you want to be extra sort of cautious, you know, a couple of months would be more than enough. So that's not the major thing. Probably the the more time consuming parts is actually the the paperwork and the necessary requirements to actually move over here with a visa and also getting your qualifications recognized, which is called HCPC. Okay. HCPC. You don't have to sit any like tests or anything like that as an Australian? Or? Not as an Australian. No, that we're, they're well recognized over here. So essentially all you need to do is go through uh, the HCPC website, which is essentially the equivalent of APRA. Um, so they're like the governing body of physiotherapy and healthcare over, over here. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just a long process and it's quite particular with the paperwork that they need. So that in itself, you know, can take, I mean, for me, I didn't, from the time of actually submitting it till actually getting it approved, it was actually seven months for me, which is rare. Most oh, people geez. get it back within sort of six to eight weeks, but they just wow. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of the you're better off having more time than, than not enough. So yeah. it's a bit frustrating because I was like trying to you know am I going to start work and I start work and um, they finally came through, which is which is good. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's the biggest difference you notice from working as a physiotherapist in Australia compared to England? Like, do the patients view you differently as a physio or that type of thing? I don't know. It's a good question. Like, I guess I've, I've gone from working in private to now in a hospital. So that in itself is going to have heaps of changes yeah. naturally. I guess in, probably in terms of the, the people, I think the English love a laugh and just very laid back. And you see yeah. that um, quite regularly sort of on the wards. Um, the people are you know, pretty relaxed and it's, it's pretty good fun. Um, but I think there's a lot of similarities, like similar with the, sort of the staff I'm working with. Everyone's very sort of, you know, very, there's the Australians and the English get along really well. Yeah, there's a lot of Australian so. locums actually in my work as well. There's, you know, we went for drinks after work on Friday and there were, I think five or six Australians there. It's just, they, there's heaps of Aussies over here, which is also nice. But, um, I'd probably say, yeah, the, the, probably the major difference is that they've got the NHS over here, which sort of is encompasses the whole country. Um, and it's a, that is helpful because once you're sort of in the NHS, you don't have to worry about, you know, the transition between different hospitals or different roles. It's all sort of encompassed and it's a bit easier. Um, but again, with that, there's, I would say it's quite an, inefficient system at times so it can be a bit frustrating and there are subtle differences with you know your day-to-day operations which might be a little bit more smooth running in australia i'd say and aren't quite that good in the uk but i guess so far i've only worked one job and only in a hospital Mm. so i haven't got the full grasp of it but that's sort of what i've noticed as well so far no, it's cool that you pick up those yeah little differences even just on your short stay. I'm um, just short time being over there, and so as mm-hmm. you're saying that you have like five locums with you kind of at the moment. When they go to look for jobs for Australians, do they tend to try put locums together, or is it just by chance? I think it's just I think it's just purely the sheer nature of or the sheer volume of Aussies that are over here that naturally whatever probably most jobs you're going to go to you'll probably find an Australian if you're in you know, a locum as an Australian uh, in the UK because most of the Aussies come over here and they want to work casually and they just want to earn you know the, the, the bonus with working locum as well is it's a it's a higher rate so you get paid a bit better you have flexibility to travel and change work quite easily which for most Australians moving over here is what they're after um, so I think it's more so just a a reflection of how many Australians are here yeah. rather than trying to put Australians together. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And how is the pay right. over there compared to like a physiotherapist in Australia? And yeah, I know it's different it's, um, to private practice, but. Um, for sure. Um, so I guess I'm thinking like at home as sort of a starting salary, I think which is pretty standard sort of to be on like about 60 grand, 65 grand a year for a private practice role in Melbourne. 
Um, so that was sort of what I was on, which I think equates to roughly sort of 28, 30 AUD an hour. Um, at the moment, I'm, I think I'm getting paid 22 pounds an hour, which is about 40 bucks Australian an hour. Um, and depending on where you go, like there's this whole concept of London loading. So essentially, if you work in, a, in essentially in London, um, so I don't qualify because I'm like sort of technically out. It's not sort of CBD or central London. Uh, if you work in central London, they you actually get paid even more because they the whole idea is that, you know, they have to compensate for your travel costs and the accommodation requirements to actually live in London. So they, oh, they pay wow. you a bit, a bit more. Um, it does depend as well what band you are. So if you're more experienced, so bands essentially is the equivalent of grades. So for any hospital, um, people who work in hospitals, you know, the grade one, two, three, four, they have bands over here. So like um, most uh, sort of people I know who've had one to two years experience will be on band six, um, which is what I'm currently on. And that's sort of that rough pay bracket of somewhere between sort of 20 to 28 pounds an hour, roughly most of the time um, that will change depending on the role and, location as well because if you're in let's say like rural uk or i don't know there's like somewhere else where it's not as popular they're going to pay you more so if even looking this week and my agency sent me a couple of jobs there was one in somewhere in oh, i don't even know where it was but it was like 35 pounds an hour i was just like that's kind of tempting but you know yeah. obviously i don't want to live in london um mm. so overall yeah i'd say the pay is pretty good if you're working as a locum yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. That's better than I thought it would be. And like how, and it's, even London loading, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's a pretty cool concept because I went to, I went to London earlier in the year and just the sheer cost of things. I'm like, like 10 pounds. I'm like for a burger. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cheap. But then you do the conversion. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> I'll stop converting. It's, um, <laughs> it's not fun that way. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And hundred percent regarding, um, going over to London and how is the cost of living and finding a property in itself? Uh, challenging, challenging. So what most people do is that they'll come, come over here, they'll book an Airbnb for probably three or four weeks and then they'll use that time purely to find a place. So that's what most of my friends have done. Um, the hard thing is because there's – there's just so many people who want to move into a place. And um, as an example, one of my friends, he was living here last year. And when he gave up his room and sort of advertised it, I think they got 500 messages in 48 hours or something. Wow. So it's just like, how do you compete with that? And he wasn't even like in a super ideal location. Like it was still not a bad spot, but it wasn't like really prime or anything like that. So it's just, that's sort of what you're up against, unfortunately. Sorry, Dion, in regards to looking for accommodation overseas, what are some tips you would give for people? Did you have that organized before you went to London or did you sort that all out when you um, arrived there? Yeah, I'm, I personally, I wouldn't recommend this, which is funny because I, this is what I did, but I wouldn't actually recommend it. Um, I was looking on, so there's kind of sort of two main avenues. There's an app called Spare Room, which is where most places are. And, you know, either agents or uh, people who are looking for a new flatmate or, or whatever, they'll put their property or their room on there. Um, and then you can just sort of message in the app and say, hey, I'm interested, whatever. Um, and then there's also a couple of Facebook pages. The most common one, particularly or for those who are wanting to move to London, it's called Hackney Wick Spaces. So for anyone in Melbourne, uh, it's the equivalent of like Fairy Floss Estate, if you've seen that on Facebook, where it's essentially just a Facebook page, people put in their rooms, you get messages and you try to find someone out um, to, to fill the room. So those are the, the two main avenues. So I I was just really desperate to find a place as soon as possible before I moved, um, which is really hard because most people aren't going to take you on if you uh, are not there physically for them to meet you which makes sense. Like I'm not going to accept someone virtually just messaging me versus I don't know, someone who comes to my door and sees the house and I can have a chat to them. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to want to live with them. Um, so I ended up fine. I did find a place uh, prior to coming to London, 
it was, it was through an agency. So they sent me like a, a virtual viewing of the place. Um, I had a phone call with one of the housemates um, just to get a bit of a grasp of what it's like. And I ended up taking it whilst I, before I actually moved to London. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend that again, to be honest, because it was, I mean, it's a little bit of a, a, a punt as well as to how it's going to work out. Um, and you, yeah, you, if you want a, a social fun household, I mean, it's, you, you want to meet the people, you want to go to the house and see what it's like and figure out what sort of the, the energies like at, at the house. Um, so what I would recommend is to instead book like an Airbnb for three, four weeks when you first moved to, to London or the UK. Um, and then use those three or four weeks purely to find a place. So ideally, if you can afford it, don't work um, and just give yourself full time to actually go to viewings. Um, I've talked to friends who have sort of gone like, you know, in the morning, they'll go to one viewing here. And then in the afternoon, they're on the train the other side of London. Like this, <laughs> this is kind of what you have to unfortunately do where you're just like, you're putting yourself completely out there to just to try and find a place because it's very competitive. Um so I would do that and try to secure a place. And then once you've got a secure place, then you can, you've got a stable base and you know as well, like where it's going to be convenient for you to work. Um, Cause you don't want to take a job and then not know where you're living. And then it could be a pretty bad commute. Um, yeah. So that'd be my advice. And are there any tips as well in regards to when you're doing those calls with people, like, as you were saying, when they're, like if I was going to rent a room, I'd rather see them in person and get to know them more. Like any tips on what to say? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you just probably have to start with just a general conversation and just actually figure out if you like the person. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't think you need to ask anything too specific. I mean, in terms of asking the housemates, I mean, you might, you want to, you know, know exactly, you know, what the price is for rent and bills and how long the stay is and, what com- is it furnished? All those kind of details, which is you know, is true for any place that you're moving into. But for actually, you're trying to figure out if it's the right place for you. I mean, I think you're just gonna yeah have a, a conversation, figure out if you if you get along and if it'd be yeah. someone you want to um, live alongside. Nah, exactly right. But no, that's interesting what you said uh, when you recommend in the first four weeks, if you can, just go to listings and you know show your foot in the door. Um, that's a, that's a job in itself as well, from the sounds of things. <laughs> It is, it is. And I'm pretty, um, I feel grateful that I didn't have to go through that. But yeah. at the same time, it probably would have led to maybe a slightly better place than what I'm currently in. Um, but that's sort of how it goes. I can always still do that if I'd like it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would recommend giving yourself the time to do that because you want to prioritize that and, and sort that as soon as possible. Yeah. Did you have like a set idea before going over like, yep, uh, this is a rough estimate I want to spend on rent a week? rough estimate on groceries, that type of thing? Or were you kind of bombarded when you arrived? You're like, yep, okay, that's a lot more expensive than I thought. <laughs> yeah, um, I had, a, I had a, a decent idea of budget and how much I wanted to spend and sort of getting an idea of how much I'm going to earn and therefore, you know, will I be able to work four days a week if I'm paying this amount of rent, etc. So, yeah, I mean, it was good to have a, a goal because the rent over here is ridiculous. I would probably say it's pretty close to double most places that you're uh, renting in Melbourne. Um, so wow, that much. My, yeah, like for example, like I was paying eight fifty Australian prior to moving here, and most of my friends I know are paying at least eight hundred fifty pounds or nine hundred or a thousand pounds a month to live in their place. Oh. So, and the pound to dollar is essentially double. So yeah. it's yeah, it's it's expensive, but. Um, I've been lucky to find a place which is still considerably more expensive than what I was paying in Melbourne, but um, it's doable for the London standards, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, for sure, like you need your well, it's an investment in itself. I know it's expensive, but I'm sure, like when you have a long day at work, there's times you just want to make sure you have the, your space, your room. Like sometimes I know some people like go into a hostel, but it's like can't be mayhem and yeah. <sighs> I couldn't live in a hostel for for long term. No way. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's you want to have your own space, and it's, it's nice to to have a space you can come home to and be like, yeah, this is sort of like my area. It's not, and I want to live here. So, I mean, there are some cheaper ones out there. Like I've seen, you know, they, they are few and far between. But yeah, I think it's it's that fine back a fine balancing act of 
how what you sort of what your ideal place you'd love to live is, but also what is financially viable to you. But um, probably in, at the end of the day, you sort of have to take what you can get to some degree because it's just like I was saying before, it's just so competitive. Yeah, that's saturated. No, of course. And how can you describe for us a week of living as a physio overseas? What is a day? What is a week of a life of a physio in London look like? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through this week um, then as a rough idea. So, I mean, for me, I was sort of telling you because given I'm traveling an hour and a half um, for work, I, I'm up at like five thirty, and then I'll get on the. I take I take two trains and a bus to to get to work, which just sounds ridiculous. Wow. Um, but it's, I'm sort of used to it now, so it's not too bad. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I'll 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 work from um eight fifteen. I'll finish at four thirty. Um, I'll either go to the gym or go to footy training. I'm usually back home by like depends probably you know seven or eight. Um, and that's sort of my so for me personally at the moment like weekdays are hard to fit in heaps because I sort of get up early and, and get home. Uh, late-ish but then yeah weekends I'm either sort of I mean it's uh, the, the, the like I was saying like being able to work four days is pretty cool so a lot of the time when I do have spare time it's kind of putting my money aside and figuring out where I want to travel next um, and going on you know Skyscanner which is just great because you can search, essentially search up search everywhere and it'll just show you the cheapest flights for essentially all of Europe um, for set dates or, or whatever time you can just book in advance and it's that's pretty fun doing that um, yeah so if, if, if I'm not sort of in London and like playing footy or hanging out with friends or whatever then I'm if, if again like financially pending um, if I've got the money to do it and I've saved up then I'll look I'll probably be traveling somewhere for the weekend for three days yeah far out that is sounds like a dream <laughs> pretty cool yeah yeah <laughs> it's like so like regarding on um, how you go and do you travel for the three uh three days um how long would you say it takes you to save like how many weeks before you can go to your next trip like i think some people think it's like yep okay i work four days now i travel to amsterdam i work four days now i travel to spain it's not necessarily mm. the case no no i'd probably say i'd probably say i can like with what i'm currently earning and and all expenses um I'm, i can probably afford one maybe two trips a month um which is still pretty good um mm. so yeah I, I ideally i'd love i try to go away like sort of every three weeks um two to three weeks but again not always viable to do that so um you tend, oh, i think like back prior to covid like you could get to, so i've heard like you, you could get some really good deals and like you know 20 pound return flights to to spain which they come up every now and then um but a lot of that's yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> you, you, you still you still get um you still get some of those every now and then but they're, they're more they're a bit rarer so for example like i'm going to spain next weekend i paid 60 pounds return for flights which is you know about 120 AUD, which is still like a steal oh um, huge but then again like i just prior just jumping the call like i'm going on a, a surf camp with one of my good friends in morocco and that was like 400 pounds return so you, you get some good deals but then i'd say for the most part it's not as cheap and not as easy to travel so frequently as probably it sounds on paper um mm -hmm. certainly after covid but still very doable and you know if you're smart with your money um then you can you can go away quite a bit yeah and it even doesn't have to be like travel abroad sometimes like sometimes i don't know if correct me if i'm wrong but you're just traveling around london just exploring the city or even manchester or something like that absolutely yeah and the trains in the uk you know are good and you can you know for example um you can get down to brighton which is about like an hour by the beach that's really nice down there that can cost you, you know, i think i paid like 15 20 pounds return on the on the trains and you know it's that's that's a good option or there's heaps of little spots and beautiful areas in in the uk um i went to wales recently as well rode my bike um around wales which is awesome so you can do it for cheap as well if you want to stay more locally definitely yeah sick people that want to go and work overseas and are like thinking oh no i don't know if i should go um i'm gonna miss my family and my friends i don't know if i if it's been gonna benefit me what would you say to them 
Hmm. I think it's such a such a cool opportunity. It really is. Um, you just the the ability to. Well, I think I've just learnt and pushed myself a lot. Um, and like I've gotten out of my comfort zone. Like I don't know anyone over here, so I've sort of it's been a really good experience for me as well because I've you know I've made completely new friends who I had no idea about. I'm living in a new city, different setting of work. Um, I don't know. I think it's a really great opportunity to just firstly just push yourself and uh, really drive that personal development. I think it's I've I've really uh, found that super beneficial and um, really rewarding as well to sort of see that. Uh, so Dion, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced moving to the other side of the world? Um, I think on more of a <clears throat> sort of practical level, it was the time and financial requirements to actually make the move. So I think probably, you know, a, a lot of saving needed and just the, the efforts of actually um, doing, through, doing all the paperwork to, to make the move and to get my – um, like my HCPC and uh, like my visa, like that took time um, more than anything, just like like effort because um, you have to be quite particular because they, you know, in terms of what you submit and the documents and how they get it done and any kind of sort of stuff up within that can delay you, unfortunately. So that was difficult from a sort of practical sense, I guess sort of wider, you know, it was – my like my partner she's currently traveling and is going back to um australia in in july so that's difficult as well being you know apart from her um and yeah. of course, family and, and friends as well are back in australia and um probably as well like leaving leaving a workplace which i really loved was also difficult you know I, um i definitely see myself you know going back there so to to leave that and know that this is a really good job and um, there's, a, well, there's no guarantees that I'll be able to get it back. Um, I think I will, but there's, yeah, there's no, no guarantees about that. I mean, that's also a, a difficult move. Uh, that takes like a lot of courage, even, you know, you're at home in Melbourne, Australia, surrounded by your family, working a job you absolutely love. There's really like, you know, people would look at that and go like, yep, yeah, he's fine. He's perfect. He doesn't need He's, he's happy, like he's successful, but like, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have that little bit in you, like, oh, if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret this kind of for the rest of my life. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and like even just living overseas, not having like your family and stuff there to talk to and, you know, being worlds apart, um, how is it staying in contact with them and your friends? And Yeah, I think um... – Finding, I mean, the time zone's a little bit difficult. So, you know, what often works is like a, a morning here for me, often on a weekend, um, and it's like an afternoon or, or night time for them. So, yeah, I try to try to call, you know, my family like once a week, ideally. Um, my friends as well, like it's probably harder with them because they've kind of got different lifestyles. My parents are home most of the time, so it's a bit easier yeah. to, to get a hold of them. Yeah, exactly. I think having some kind of structure as well and planning and trying to be really clear about when you do call is important because if you just sort of say, oh, we'll, we'll call soon, we'll call soon, it's like good luck with the time zones because you've only got a really sort of select window to, to make mm. it realistically work if they're also working or um, have things on and things like that. So, yeah, it's been tricky, but I think I'm pretty good with it at the moment trying to be a bit more structured and, and planned about how I do uh, approach it yeah awesome and even being structured and planned regarding your um you know relationship with your parents but also just your day-to-day -day week like with your money as well being structured and planned of not eating out all the time you know making meals for yourself during the week so that means you can go to spain sooner rather than later has that been something you've yeah. adjusted to yeah oh huge huge like i i'll happily admit that i'm a bit of a sting and <laughs> i would much rather I, like i don't spend too much money during the week um i, well, I try not to so yeah i've sort of that's the sort of sacrifice i'm prepared to make if it means that i can travel more frequently because i'm, I'm not here to you know I, I would much rather have like one drink than opposed to you know i'm just throwing all my money all my money away on, on pints and eating out and and, and whatever else I, i'd much rather just 
be look, you know, like I could still enjoy myself and still like attend things and eat out occasionally and things like that. But ultimately, like um, my main driver and thing that excites me the most is being able to travel and to go to other places. And I can't do both um, working four days a week. Like it, it yeah, it, it's just not financially viable. Yeah. And as a locum, do you have to work four days a week or can you choose how many days you work? You can choose. Yeah. Like, I mean, most people do work five days, um, but you can, there's no reason why you can't work more if that, if that's what you want to do or if for, for a short period of time, if you want to save up some money, if the job allows it. Um, yeah. I, I know, uh, you know, somebody like myself can work for um, anything less than that. I mean, I'm sure you could, argue it you know it's just a, a matter of what the the workplace is happy for you to to do um that's sort of the nature of any kind of casual job is that it is kind of up to you in a way and whatever the your workplace is happy with for how many days you work so yeah um i think i don't think it'd be pretty really it would be realistic to work any less than four financially at least unless you've got some good savings um already coming over here but yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of flexibility within that. Yeah. And before deciding to go to work over in London, what are some things that you think people need to tick off before going over? Like how much should they have like a certain amount saved before going? Yeah. I think like the process itself, I think costs somewhere between four and five grand Australian to actually do like, for example, there's like a, What's it called? I think it's a uh, some kind of health scheme which essentially covers you and for any kind of <clears throat> basic medic- medical costs is like it's like sixteen hundred dollars you have to pay. The visa itself is something like three hundred fifty four hundred dollars. The HCPC is another four hundred four hundred dollars for actually just the registration, and then for one to pay for like a year's membership is like another. $300. So just these things just add up. Um, and there's yeah, so many yeah. costs that you don't expect. I'm like, Oh God, another one. So I'd say for actually just the process of even before you move, just to get it all done, you probably need at least four or five grand. Um, once you're over here, you, you need uh, some more because then you need to be able to put a month's deposit down for a place, um, which is pretty standard for most places. So I've heard of some places even requiring, three or six months deposit, which is ridiculous. Um, wow. So I guess you just have to prepare for the worst. You, you, there's not much point coming over here and being stressed about money. Um, I wouldn't, I think you're better off waiting a bit more until you've got enough money to be comfortable and not be stressed about if you're going to make it through to next week, uh, was paycheck. So um, I would probably all up, you probably need you probably need close to 10 grand at least um, to with all these costs involved. And once you're over here and being able to support yourself once you're here. Yeah. No. Awesome. Thanks for that. And so you've been in London for the past three months now. How long do you plan on staying there? Are you plan on using your two year visa or plan on coming back sooner extending? Yeah. Um, I, I plan to stay until probably September next year. So after summer next year, um, back in time for the grand final as well, of course. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I I think if I probably – if it probably wasn't – if I didn't have my partner back in Australia, I'd be, I'd be pretty tempted to stay longer. I think now that it should go through that it's instead of a two-year visa, it's going to become a three-year visa, which is also good for anyone who wants to stay a bit longer. So, um yeah, that's the plan. I think it's enough time for me where I can really explore and enjoy the lifestyle, but also um, not push it out to the point where it leads to, you know, um, negative downfall on my relationship or relationship with my parents or missing my friends or anything like that. So okay. that's where my head's at. And how do you um, kind of handle the homesickness if you ever come across it? Yeah, like I remember like the first day when I moved in here, like I was I was told it was like, you know, fully furnished and um everything. And then I, I got into my room and there was like the cleaner was still here, so I had to like go back and come back <laughs> later and then my I didn't have like a any sheets or a pillow or doona or I just sort of had the 
bare bones and I just felt like this little scared little boy of like oh, where am I like oh, I'm over <laughs> the other side of the country and like what am yeah. I doing and you know it's it's kind of like daunting um yeah but sort of since then I've been pretty good to be honest I think like I'm getting I think it's so crucial to get your social needs met um over here if you can't you know if it's quite difficult to you know to call home or, or your friends or your family um so I've been really um, grateful that I've, I've found some good friends so far and particularly like joining the the footy club has been amazing because it's, you know, 75% of them are Australian. So it's, it's you know, you feel um, like that sense of, you know, just calm. Home in and, a sense. And exactly. It's a sense <laughs> yeah. of home. And, um, and everyone there is in a very similar position where they've moved over. They don't know too many people and they just want to socialize and make new friends. So that's been just easily the best decision I've made to join, to join that club. Nah, that's awesome. And what, um, do they play like every week train two times a week. Yeah, we, we train normally twice a week. Um, and I think there's only, there's nine games plus finals. So it's a short, it's a short year, but it's kind of perfect because you know, most like there's guys in our team and there's the girls team as well. Um, who, you know, they'll only be available for certain weeks and, because they're traveling or whatever and that everyone just is fully accepting of that because you know we're not here to take it super super seriously like we want to win it's um but it's we're not like you know that serious to the point where you know you you, you can't play unless you're committed to all all games like um so yeah it's kind of a, it's it's really pretty much across summer which is a bit warm but you know it's mm. essentially sort of four or five months total um, which is yeah, pretty ideal, I think. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Like going across as well over there, you, you expect you know everyone's going to be in that same position if you, all those Australians going over by themselves, and it's good to kind of be able to talk to the same people that are going through the same thing, just like to know oh you're not the only one going through it, and like if you're going to go over there and be quiet and reserved and stay in your room all day, not go out there and push out of your comfort zone, then of course you're going to come back sooner rather than later. Totally, totally. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, it's it's a really good push and a great excuse to push yourself out of your comfort zone because in some ways you don't have a – I mean, you do have a choice, but I think if you want to make the most of it, yeah, you have to you have to take that leap. And it, when you do, I mean, it just it just pays dividends. So it's it's great for that. Yeah, for sure. And as well, can you speak about Clinical Pearls? When did you start that and what is your goal with it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, Clinical Pearls is the the podcast I run. It's a um, it's a physio podcast aimed at sort of new physios and new grads and students. And yeah, I, I started that in when I was still in uni. So I did it for my fourth year uni project. Um, I didn't have any intentions of continuing it, but I just loved it and thought, well, why not? I'll just keep going with it. So um, I'm now, yeah, I've I've continued it whilst over here, which has been just so incredible. So like we were chatting before, like I, you know, interviewed physio tutors who are just iconic. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I went to their, went to their office in Amsterdam, which is just so cool. Um, you know, when I was in Ireland, I interviewed Kieran O'Sullivan, who's just a, like a guru in low back pain, Nicole Van Dyke. Um, you know, I've, I've had, it's been such an amazing experience to not only just travel to places i you know, within a city that I maybe wouldn't normally go to, but then just meet these people in person. It's just, it's so, so rewarding. So I've absolutely yeah. loved that. Um, so I've got, yeah, I've, I've got to try to tee up a few more. It's, it's been a bit harder than in Melbourne, to be honest, like to try find yeah. guests. Um, but hundred oh, percent. there's a million people I want to still interview because there's just so many good European um, yeah. uh, guests out there. No, nah, that's really sick. And I love what you, um, I can see the passion of physiotherapy just from our conversation and just, you know, since grade six, wanting to be a physio. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is awesome. Like most, I think in grade six, I wanted to be an AFL player and that didn't go well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, as you said, do you, where do you see yourself in five years time? Do you see yourself working back in Melbourne in a private practice? Can, building clinical pearls into who knows yeah i i definitely see myself in private practice in five years um 
for me, my main goal and what I really would love to really get more into is teaching. So I'm still doing a little bit of remote teaching at La Trobe Uni, uh, like an hour a week. Uh, well, it hasn't started yet, but it's going to start, I think it's next month. So I love, I love lecturing and teaching and that's really my passion. And um, I'd love to in five years be in a more sort of, you know, a more permanent and uh, more significant hours role at a uni teaching physio like that would be awesome um mm-hmm. so if i could split my time predominantly between those two and then perhaps as well time pending i'd love to be involved in a bit more sport because i really whilst i've been over here for the footy club i'm playing for i'm also doing the physio so like i'm i'm there early for the girls game who often play in the morning um i started helping people out at training and whatnot so i hadn't done any sort of specific sports work for a team before and it's just been awesome so some some kind of link between private teaching and sports work would be my absolute ideal Nah, that's beautiful and like for those who are struggling to find their passion what would you say to them i mean you're just gonna keep trying you know i've had so many friends who are not that sold on what they want to do and don't love some placements and they're questioning why they're in the course. Um, there are so many avenues out there which you can take on. Like even, you know, I was sort of saying before, with these, seeing these job offers come through and all the opportunities come through the, from the agency. Even there, there's just so many different avenues from neuro to musk to cardio to outpatient setting to inpatient setting, like mental health physios, like animal animal physios. You can go more into teaching. You can go more into um, like sports work. I just think there's or like d- disability as well. Like I don't know. There's just there's so many avenues that you can explore. So if it doesn't work, if, if your first opportunity that you get or your first job isn't quite for you, don't be deterred because there are so many other avenues out there. And if there are aspects of the course you like, may perhaps just reflect on what you liked about them and what um why you did you know sort of take a a sort of a liking to them and and then try to channel that into a job or into your day-to-day work and i think that's probably the best way to go but yeah just don't get put off too early no i really like that answer like even when i uh and this doesn't have to just apply to physio of course um but when i yeah first started doing physio like first year i thought it was just private practice i didn't even realize there was like neurophysio cardio physio even animal physio you said i'm like what i didn't even mm. heard of that until you said it <laughs> yeah one of my friends did that on one of her placements yeah um, okay which uh, there's, there's, there's heaps out there there's honestly heaps yeah, I just said, just going and trying everything. And if, if it doesn't work out, then don't beat yourself up. Just know that's one thing that's not ticked. But yeah, uh, yes, Dion, I can see just through the passion you're speaking to me as well. Like I can see it's really, I'm really proud of you for finding your own passion as well. Cause some people like around our age, they really struggle to find it and keep, um, you know, beat them, beating themselves up and thinking like they don't have one. What's wrong with me? What's going on? But again, just keep pursuing out there, guys. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see you being a lecturer at a university in the future, writing your own <laughs> book and everything like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Capnius and Giacobelli, the new book known can't. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's coming out in 2028. <laughs> <laughs> keep pencil it in, put in your diaries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got two final questions, Dion, that we like to ask every guest if that's all right with you. The first yeah, one is the first one is uh, what is one thing you want to be remembered for? Ooh, is this just in a general sense or specifically general towards sense. general sense? I'd love to be remembered or known as a really good, I guess, listener and friend. Um, I do really pride myself on that, and you know, I I think it's just so important to to you know to for those characteristics for me, because I think that's just where genuine relationships come from. If you, I don't know, I think it's just straight away, you know, when you talk to someone and you can just tell they're really into it and they are listening and they really care that, you know, that's, that's, I just put so much weight on that and it's just really meaningful to me. So I'd love to, yeah, be known and remembered as a, you know, a really good empathetic, caring, um, listening person. Yeah. That is one of my favorite answers. I love that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, just sort of, I don't know. I just feel like that's makes sense. It's sort of the, it's just came naturally to me. I don't know. I just yeah. That's what I just thought. I I probably could have put a bit more thought into it, but it's nah, sort of nah, nah. like a rough. That's perfect, mate. And like touching on that, then when you moved overseas because you value your relationships so much, did any of you feel kind of guilt, like oh, I'm leaving my family and friends, or? Yeah, there's there's definitely an aspect of that. Um, it's it's really hard because if you always put other people around you first, you're probably not going to push yourself to do something like this. So it is a fine line between being selfish and just doing what you want to do, but also um, caring and understanding that what you do does have an impact on the relationships that you have. So. You know, like, for example, with my partner, if I'm not with her, like, it's not just me who's affected. Like, it has an impact on how she takes it and um, her levels of happiness to a degree. And, you know, I, I think that's really important to remember. So mm. um, I, that's just something you got to unfortunately work through and it's you're not going to have a super clean, yep, no one's going to care if I leave and I don't have anything to, to that I have to think about. You, you do have to always factor these these other people in. Yeah, for sure. And how has that been dealing with a relationship internationally? Like have you guys had to set certain boundaries or yeah, you know, how do you how do you handle it? Yeah, it's it's tricky. I think probably the the hardest aspect for us is just um being able to sort of talk and be with each other more frequently. Um, you know, it's it's easier at the moment in terms of talking because we're in similar time zones because she's in just in, in Europe at the moment as well. Um, so that's been probably one of the easier parts, but um, yeah, it's just like, I mean, just not being with them in person just is, it's very different. It's very different, but I think we're, we've tried to make a really big emphasis on just being super clear with what we're both after and how we're both feeling about everything. And it seems to be working pretty well so far. So um, I think if you don't have those sort of good foundation of, of communication, then it's it may not work very well for you. Yeah. No, happy for you, mate. It's sounding like yeah, you're absolutely you. – the sky's the limit for you, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As well, the last yeah. the final question is, it's probably one you've already uh, ticked off a lot, but what is one thing you want to tick off your bucket list? Ooh, bucket list. That's a good question. So I'm, I'm really like thought about like really like I really, really want to do this at some stage. Like mm-hmm. it's definitely some things I really want to do. Yeah. I think probably in the more short term whilst I'm over here and have the option to travel, I think I really want to – I'd love to sort of go to more southern parts of Europe and like Italy, Greece, Croatia. Um, I was talking to my dad recently as well and saying because he lived in Greece for – two years and I'd love to go where he went when he was living when he was like nine years old. I think it'd be a pretty cool experience to go like the small town he was living in. So yeah. that's all I want to, I want to do for sure. Um, yeah. More long-term I'd love to travel more of Australia and do like a, a big um, road trip of Australia. I think that'd be amazing. Yeah. No, that'd be sick. I think like, when you know you grow up and live in Australia, the first thing is like, oh, yep, I want to go and travel and leave Australia. But we also have such a good backyard that we take for granted. But like, absolutely, look at Europe. Like, I can't, like, I can't even fathom. Like, when you're in London and a plane ride to Amsterdam is like half an hour. Like, it's shorter to go to Amsterdam <laughs> than you go to work every morning. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, it makes, it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, and regarding your work, so are you working in London or you're just living in London and you travel an hour thirty? It's technically London, but it's hardly London. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's sort of just – I would argue it's sort of just outside, but it's, yeah, technically still London. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank you so much for today, Dion. You're an absolute ripper of a bloke. I've loved having this conversation today despite all the bloody interruptions with the Zencaster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out and you, Zencaster, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you want to give a quick plug of where people can find you and your most recent podcast episode as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not hugely active on, well, like personally, social media or anything, but with the podcast I am. So you can find, yeah, Clinical Pearls for Graduate Physios, it's called. It's on Spotify and Apple. Um, On Instagram, uh, it's at clinical.pearls. And 
a lot of the stuff we're sort of talking about today with how to make the move and the sort of more intricate details. I did an episode on that recently. I think it was titled um, How to Move to the UK and Work as a Physio. So if you want a bit more detail about that, um, perhaps give that a, a listen because I sort of covered um, a little bit more of what we talked about today. Uh, awesome. Great stuff. Um, thank you so much for your time, Dion. If you guys are a physiotherapy student, a physiotherapist, or work in the allied health, definitely go and give Clinical Pearls a listen to. Um, it's definitely going to make you a better physiotherapist and expand your skills, and you're doing great stuff, Dion. So can't wait to see your growth. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's been awesome to to be on the other end of a, a podcast today. And I mean, I uh, it looks it, it sounds like such a, a cool concept that what you're doing. And I think as we we're talking before about you know trying to feed people, trying to find their passion for what they want to do. I mean, this is such a great platform to help expose people to do that. So um, no, thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Dion. Take care. Right, cheers. Thank you. Wow, you made it to the end. Great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join me. Make sure you rate and follow the show as well as follow Life's Teachers on Instagram and TikTok. I hope you learned something new and had fun along the way. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys.